Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Reske. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan, one of your co-hosts. I'm joined with my other co-host, Jim Reske, and we have a special guest tonight, Lou DeMarco. And tonight we are excited because we're going to be talking about probably the most important topic of the Christian faith, which is the resurrection. Um, Specifically, we're going to be kind of diving into John chapter 20, reading it section by section, sharing some observations. The three of us are going to share, you know, how these, how the scripture has impacted us. But the topic is the resurrection of Jesus, which is probably the most important topic uh, we could talk about. So um, let me just start. Jim, welcome. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Looking forward to this. All right, good. All right, Lou. Hey, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you. Anything you want to say in, as far as introductory comments? I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be with you two guys, people that love the Lord, and you know, thank God for the opportunity. Awesome. Well, let's just okay, Jim. What, what yeah, would you, you like know, to maybe say? yeah, just for our listeners, Lou, maybe just take a minute, just tell us a little bit about yourself, especially your spiritual journey, uh, how, how you came to faith, and. Um, maybe just, just to kind of, so our audience kind of gets to know you a little bit. Okay. I'd be glad to, I am an attorney. I've been an attorney 40 some years. I was a uh, county prosecutor in Cuyahoga County, uh, way, uh, been raised, uh, in a Catholic family, went to Catholic grade school, high school, college, Jesuit college of all things. And, uh, was really living a life, uh, living a life of, um, I, I'd say being a hellion, you know, being a prosecutor, thought I was kind of special. And uh, and then I met a, a assistant bailiff, a juvenile court of all places. And she was just the sweetest lady, um, African-American lady who was a single mother, didn't have much money, but she just had this sweetness about her. So I asked her one day, what is it about you? And she told me I have the Lord. And, and I said, well, what do you mean you have the Lord? I went to, you know, Catholic high school, grade school, high school and college. So I started, I went home and I started looking up my old books and got the J.B. Phillips translation out and started, you know, thinking about it. And Fulton Sheen, Bishop Sheen, if you know who he is. And um, in one night in March of 1980, and I'll tell you, I, I don't know the the night I know you, you say you're born again, you're supposed to know your birthday, but I, I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know anything about it. So, um, it was, it was the most horrendous night and the most beautiful night all at once, because all of a sudden I knew I was a sinner going directly to hell. And it was just like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And, wow. the, and I just said the atheist prayer. I said, Jesus, if you're real, save me. And from that moment on, my life changed totally. I was saved. It was the most beautiful moment. It was from the worst moment of my life to the greatest moment of my life. And it was all because of the Lord's grace. Because, you know, I was, I had, no, I had done nothing, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't like to get into 
talking about, you know, how bad a sinner you are, because we can all sit there and say, yeah, I was, I was so bad. And, you know, Paul says he's the worst of sinners. I'll, I'll take him at his word. But for me, it was, you know, totally unexpected. People thought I, I lost my mind <laughs> because all of a sudden I started talking about the Lord, going to bars and talking about the Lord and talking <laughs> to the Lord uh, with these, these hardcore prosecutors and defense attorneys, and they didn't want to hear it. And uh, so it was all by God's grace. And I'm, I've, you know, I've had ups and downs since then, but thank God every day is a, a gift from God. I just think that's fantastic, Lou. It's just such a wonderful story. I just think, you know, uh, Greg, as we think about people that are listening to the podcast here in the United States, but all around the world, and they're just Christians in all these different countries listening to the podcast, you're going to say, that's their story too. They met Jesus. They got to know Jesus and they had a life before. And one day they met Jesus and then, nothing's been the same ever since and so it's just it's just so great and just and i never get tired of hearing about hearing testimonies and people coming to the lord and it just uh it's it's just so exciting so i'm, I'm sure there are people listening to the podcast tonight lou uh wherever they are all around the world saying yeah you too uh you know jesus too <laughs> me too i just love him yeah, isn't that great so thanks for sharing that well amen i i'm just very grateful i i, I you know he, he's he's i mean much better than I'd ever deserved. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. It's just, he's fantastic. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I I mean, when you hear these stories, you realize how the biggest seeker in the Bible is God. Because God is like seeking us out. Right. And, uh, you know, it's just so cool to hear how, how God brought you to himself. And, you know, I work with international students and one of the misperceptions people have about America is they think America is a Christian nation, that you're a Christian just because you were born in America. So Lou, your testimony is pretty powerful. And anybody who lives here knows that we are not a Christian nation. Um, we, we are a nation that has Christians, but um, each person has to individually come to know Jesus and trust him. Uh, even being raised in a Christian home does not make you a Christian. So anyway, that, thank you for sharing that. That's fantastic. Well, let's dive into uh, John chapter 20. I'm going to read the first 10 verses, and then we'll just go around and just share our impressions or things that uh, stood out to us. John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have put they have laid laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the disciple, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping into it, stooping in to look, um, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Okay, so that's the end of verse 9. I guess just to kind of get us started, 
one of the fascinating facts about the resurrection is that the is the witnesses of the resurrection that Mary was one of the that uh, women were the first people there at the tomb, especially given the cultural background of the time. Um, so I just think that really stands out. And it's one of those it's one of those things that when people say the Bible was made up, you would never you would have never had it written this way because people would have laughed at you um, given the cultural context. But what stands out to you guys? Yeah, that was one of the things I was thinking of as well. And I think um, that the idea that I think uh, Lou is an attorney, you'd know that um, at that day and age, uh, the testimony of women wasn't even allowed in the court of law. So uh, to have the first witnesses be women, especially Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, I, the Bible isn't clear on this, but she had a little bit of a checkered past as well, I think. Um, doesn't exactly say what it was, but uh, if you want to have a real, you know, credible witness, you would probably have, and if you were making this up, uh, out of whole cloth, you would have just had to be somebody else, but the, but it's not made up. It's, uh, it's reportage, but if these kind of counterproductive kind of verses like this, they give me confidence that the Bible is really true because it, it's written this way because it actually happened this way. Um, and I do think it's interesting. Mary Magdalene goes, but she doesn't go in, right? She runs up, she sees that it's gone. The stone's gone. And then she runs to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved which has got to be John himself, right? The author of the book, right? And he then he constantly refers to himself as the other disciple, kind of in the, a fancy way of using the third person to refer to himself for the rest of the chapter. But it's John and Peter that she runs and tells, and they and they go and see the tomb. Lou, is there anything else you saw there? Well, uh, to me, uh, that's what Christianity is all about. It's the resurrection. It's historical. It's an historic fact. And if you look at if you if you study history. And you see the witnesses to the resurrection. It's, I mean, it's compelling. You know, there, there's a brilliant lawyer uh, by the name of Lee Strobel, and you guys are familiar with him. But he was a hardcore writer for the, either the Chicago Tribune or the Sun Times. I can't remember which one it was. And he was very far from Christianity. And his wife became a Christian. And he set out to disprove it. And he went to Yale Law School. He was a brilliant, he is a brilliant guy still. And he found that the evidence for the resurrection is so compelling in history, much more compelling than a lot of other facts that we believe going back to the Iliad and the Odyssey and all these different uh, literature works in, in antiquity. The resurrection with the 500 witnesses that appear, uh, the, the the fact that uh, Paul, uh, Paul was a, a, a terrible uh, I mean, he, he was the last person you would imagine that would ever come to Jesus. And, and Jesus' own brother, James, w was totally opposed to him. And he was a, a, a very orthodox uh, Jewish guy. And, and they were skeptics and they all came. So the resurrection, that's what you do with it. You, you, you know, you either believe it or you don't. And the evidence is so compelling. And what's fascinating to me is the grave clothes. What's the significance of the grave clothes, how, how they were folded? Because if somebody was going to steal the body, why would you mess with the grave clothes? You just leave them. You know, you just take the body. And, you know, I, and, I, and I, I don't know about this or not, but I think it's an interesting point to raise, and some people may be interested in it. But the Shroud of Turin, which some people believe is maybe the, the burial cloth of Jesus, you know, there, there's an imprint on it, and it's a positive, not a negative. 
for those of you who are scientifically oriented. So they, they can't reproduce it, right? And so, and we don't know if that's really Jesus's, uh, but, but there had to be something with the linen cloths because John went in, saw it and believed. And it's yeah. just fascinating to me. Yeah, and if if you can even contrast that with like when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he came out and he was like unwrapping himself like when he when he walked out of the tomb. The fact that they're there and they're neat, it it, it is a stunning uh visual that there's no way somebody stole the body. And uh it, it is a really, really cool picture. I just want to share like some of the reasons why the resurrection is so important. I mean, the good news of Jesus is not complete without the resurrection. That's that's one reason. Another one is my faith in God is meaningless without the resurrection. Um, there, There's only a future because of the resurrection. And also, lastly, I have daily purpose in this life because of the resurrection. I mean, the Apostle Paul put it put it well in uh what is it first corinthians 15 17 he said and if christ has not been raised then your faith is useless and you are still in 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 condemnation in your sins for your sins and if we have hope in christ only for this life then we are mis the most miserable people in the world that's the nlt version um i mean the resurrection is so important um it, it it's it's fascinating but let's talk about the women just for a second you, we talked about it man what what faithfulness and devotion they had to jesus and what courage they had that the, they were at the crucifixion they were at the resurrection um and i mean and the disciples at this point when mary is there had fled you know um but she didn't mary didn't care she was going to go to the tomb. And a lot of people think she was going there to put more um, spices or an ointments on the body. But the fact that she was there showed a tremendous amount of courage and faithfulness and devotion. The devotion that the disciples didn't even have at that point. That That's 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 interesting. Yeah, they weren't, you're right, Greg. They weren't there. She was going there. Right. To take care. Right. To take care. And um and even we'll read the section in a second, but when she was uh, saw the body wasn't there, she said she wanted to go find the body to take care of it uh, in the section we're going to read here in a second. But you're right. She was going out there and she had to go get Peter and John. They weren't they weren't with her going there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and also the fact that she went the first thing she thought of was to go to to go to their house and get them. Yeah, it's pretty cool, too. So yeah. anything else you guys want to share about this? This section. There's one just one quick story, and it comes from a speech, uh, Lou. Uh, before we started, you were talking about um, N.T. Wright, uh, and uh, who's I think a bishop in the Anglican Church and has written a lot. And um, I think you know, so some of the good things about some of the things, and, and not that on this podcast, this is not an endorsement of all those things, but there's just one story he told that I thought was good. We talked about um, being in a cab in London. And he was talking about something about Christianity. I think he was on the phone with somebody else in the cab. He heard him and the cabbie asked him about, what do you, what do you do? And he said, oh, you're a bishop. Oh, the cab, they, the cabbie saw his collar said, you must be a, a bishop or something. He said, yeah, I am. And the cabbie said, well, the way I see it, either Jesus raised from the dead or he didn't and everything else is rock and roll, isn't it? 
<laughs> he said, and he said, and, that, and he said, what he did is he then he caught on the phone. That's the way the story goes. Then he got on the phone, called somebody else, and said, "You won't believe what this guy's just said to me." And the guy said, "Well, that's that's your next your sermon for Easter Sunday, right there." And that's exactly what it is. You know, either Jesus raised from the dead or he didn't. And when you're sharing Christ with somebody, you know, so many times you're talking to someone about your faith. Lou, you were talking about you're sitting with other prosecutors and you start sharing the faith and they say, yeah, well, what I want to know is this. If God created the world, they got some objection, right? What about this other thing? If that's true, they, they go right to some other objection. And look, you could you could talk about that stuff endlessly. Most of it's just a distraction. Either he raised from the dead or he didn't. If he didn't, none of it matters, right? But if he did, you've got to just change your entire life. And all those objections that people have when you're coming to Christ, you know, if you if he raised from the dead, if he is who he says he is, we can figure all that stuff out later. And most of those objections just kind of fall away, right? Once you really meet the real Jesus. But if he but if he didn't raise from the dead, then what difference does it make? Nothing makes any difference, right? So mm. that's the, the core truth of Christianity. That that that's perfect, Jim. I, I think that's perfect. Now with me. Just, just, just a, as as an aside, you know, I was I, I was raised in an ethnic family, Italian family, Italian American family. You know, I was very close to my dad, who's my pal. He died when I was sixteen, and my whole world basically changed, right? And ever since then, until I met Jesus, everybody I looked at, I knew they were going to die. Now Jesus died, but when He says in Revelation one, "I was dead, and I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hell." right? I'm alive forevermore. You can rely upon Jesus. He's never going to fail you. You can rely upon him. He lives forevermore. He bore our sins, but he, but he died and he was raised from the dead. And yeah. that gives life meaning. And, and, and it's beautiful when you think about it. It's absolutely compelling. You're exactly right, Jim. That's the meaning of life. That's, that's what the secret is. If Jesus ro rose from the dead and he's alive, then we all have hope. And, and and without it, there there is no hope, and people just don't want to think about it or face it, and they say, "Well, I don't want to think about that stuff," and they can get their peace by not thinking about it. But uh, either he raised from the dead or he didn't. That's the central truth of Christianity, really, the central truth of all all humanity and all all history. So, well, let's uh, continue on with this chapter. So let's see what happens with Mary. So Mary goes back and it says, verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. So at this point, she doesn't know. She doesn't know what happened to Jesus. She thought somebody stole the body. And as she wept, she, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus was, had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid them, laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And he said to her, do not cling to me, for I have, I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and, and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And, 
and that he had said these things to her. So let's just pause here. This is kind of interesting. Um, so Mary, obviously, she goes back to the tomb. And then she looks in and then she sees these two angels. And what's kind of fascinating to me is that there's not more like emotion or usually when a person comes in contact with an angel, you know, the angels are like, fear not, like, don't be afraid. But she just kind of has this conversation with them. Like she's still sort of um, maybe just so just she's so she can't figure out where the body of Jesus is. Right. Right. Um, so. Um, and then even when she Jesus speaks to her the first time, she thinks he's the gardener. She just can't fathom that he had risen at this point. Um, but once he says her name, it's like she realized who he was. What do you guys what do you guys make of this this passage? Yeah. So you just said, Greg, she could not yet fathom that he would rise from the dead. It's funny because and then right at the end of the passage we read a moment ago, um, you know, verses eight and nine, that John and Peter were there and they said he saw and believed but they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Jesus told them all he was going to rise from the dead. He was, he said it multiple times pretty clearly, you know, I'm going to, and, and uh, leading up to his death. And it is striking that they all like made, must've listened to that and said, yeah, that's nice. That's, but they don't really, they didn't really believe it or yeah. they thought he was speaking in some kind of figurative language or something. Well, look at verse 10. It says, then the disciples went back to their homes. Yeah. They Isn't just went they went back to their homes after they went to the tomb and saw that the, the nice folded linens, it says they went back to their homes. And then I love verse, the, the first two words of verse 11, but Mary, but Mary, but Mary. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? She's much more emotionally engaged with this than they are. Right. Yeah. And you, again, does. you see the devotion of this, of this one woman because yeah. she had maybe been forgiven for so much. Yeah. She loved Jesus so much. Yes. Um, That's right. And it's funny, you're right. She's talking to the angels, and, and you're right. She, at the moment, she, most most of the episodes in the Bible, people with angels, she would have been awestruck and falling backwards. And But they say, why are you weeping? She's, and she's still thinking about Jesus because they've taken away my Lord, and i got to find him. You know, I don't know where they laid him. So she's still very engaged on that. She's talking to the angels. I mean, it's a, a conversation about that topic because that's what's really on her heart is finding Jesus. So... Yeah, I wonder when she says they've taken away my Lord, you know, I, I think she believed he was God. I mean, my Lord, right? I mean, that's yeah. to me, and, and she doesn't know quite what to make of it, but she's weeping. And, you know, when, when the angel said woman, it was one thing. But when Jesus says to her woman and then Mary you know, how intimate and how sweet that is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just think about the love that she must have felt. I mean, can you can you imagine walking with Jesus for three years, seeing all these miracles, seeing him suffer horribly and die, and then he's raised from the dead? Yeah. Did, you, did you guys ever hear of Don Francisco? You know who no. Don Francisco is? He's an old I've heard the Christian name. singer. Oh, the singer, yeah. And, and he sang that song. You know about uh, about being forgiven. I'm forgiven. You know he's 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 like Peter. 
And when he sees the Lord, because Peter denied the Lord three times, and all of a sudden he's forgiven. And we're gonna, and I think you probably covered that already, Greg, in chapter twenty-one, where you know Peter's forgiven. But um, it, it's just, it's just, it, it's so compelling and so sweet when you think about what, what Mary, the emotions Mary must have gone through, and the joy, the absolute joy and wonder. Well, if you look at the end of verse, something happened between verses 16 and 17, because um, she's, she just says, Rabboni, and then seven, 17, Jesus is like, don't cling to me. So yeah. I imagine her just like, she just grabbed him, like his ankle, around his ankle, maybe fell on, fell at his feet and just was clinging to him really hard. Like, I'm never letting you go now. Like, <laughs> I thought they had taken you away. I'm never letting you go. But that's interesting what Jesus says. He's like, he's like, don't cling to me for I've not yet ascended to my father. And I know we even had this, Lou, we even had this conversation this past Saturday at the men's Bible study where, uh, why did Jesus have to go back to the, to the father? Like, you know, why, why, why would Jesus say this to her? Like, don't cling to me because I've not ascended to my father. He had to go back in order for her to receive the Holy Spirit, right? Right, right. He had to present himself in the heavenly mercy seat and complete our salvation, making the, the sacrifice. And he had to be installed, coronated, whatever you want to call it. You know, it, it's it's uh, Psalm 24. It's uh, in the book of Daniel uh, as the son of man coming to the, you know, to ascending to heaven. Uh, it's it, it's uh, Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, the power on high. It, it, yeah, so it's almost like Jesus is saying to her, when I do return to heaven, the Holy Spirit will be sent down to earth. And when he comes, he will reveal me to your heart in a way that you've never known me before. I will be nearer and dearer to you than than what was possible during my life here. And what's cool about that, if you get that concept, that means that you and I, because we've never seen the, the physical Jesus, you know, because he, he walked on the earth, you know, 2000 years ago, that in a sense, we have an advantage that, that, that those early disciples didn't have. And that is, we, we can have a closeness um, that they didn't experience because of the, the Holy Spirit. Now, they did. They got it at Pentecost, right? But um, isn't that kind of interesting? It's it's interesting that Jesus, that's the first thing he says to her, is, you know, stop clinging to me because I've not yet ascended to my father. And then you know, go I, and tell my brother. She, she immediately sends, or Jesus immediately sends her away from him, which that must have been so difficult for her to leave him, to leave his presence. Um, she, she, she sends him on a, on a missions trip kind of thing. Yeah, go ahead. No, you're right. I, I noticed that because right at, right at 18, she just leaves and stops clinging to him. She obeys him, stops clinging to him and goes and tells the disciples. I was going to say, I grew up in a, a kind of a traditional church. We had stained glass windows on the walls and there was an image of Jesus with Mary Magdalene, kind of very pious. And, and it was because some of the early translations, and I got to look at this in the King James. I think that might say, don't touch me. Mm. And it was he stopped, don't, it was almost like he's so holy he couldn't be touched. But then I think some of the other versions now bring out this. I remember I remember even at the time thinking, why would he say don't touch me? And uh the people I uh 
that, that knew uh, Greek would tell me, and a study that said the actual translation is more like stop clinging to me, which is, comes out here, I think, in the version you were reading, uh, Greg. So I think that's better that because uh, don't touch me doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. But that's the way it was in the stained glass windows in our church when we grew up. It was Jesus kind of piously holding up a finger saying, please don't touch me. Uh, yeah, stop. and I've heard, I've heard, um, I've read some commentaries where they, they um, express that, but the Greek, the Greek word is cling. Oh, it is okay. cling. But, and the interesting thing about that is if it, you know, and the, the way these commentators would say it is like, why did Jesus tell Mary not to touch him? But then she told Thomas, touch my side, touch my, you oh, know, yeah. right. so, um, so I, I think that, but I'm pretty confident that the Greek word here is, is uh, cling. I'm looking at it right now. Well, um, Thomas and the other male disciples don't throw themselves and start hugging him and say, I'm never letting you go like this. Right. So again, that kind of speaks to her devotion and the contrast there. Um, I, I do want to go to, there's something I think Lou was, you were talking about and the recognition she has for him, how it's all wrapped up in verse 16, when he says to her, Mary, just the one word it's, it's great writing. First of all, it's almost the way you'd write a novel, right? Because he could have said to her, oh, yeah, you don't recognize me. Let me explain. See, I'm Jesus, and I rose from the dead. Remember, I told you about this. And he could have gone this long explanation. And then she said, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Thanks. I forgot about that. And you're right. None of that. It's just all wrapped up in one word. And it's so poignant, right? It has so much emotion when she's kind of weeping and crying one minute. And then he just says her name. And boom, it all clicks. And she knows it's him. And it's just... I think that's just laden with meaning. Right? I love the way the Bible's written. It's not, again, it's not the way I think it's, you would have made it up if you're writing it up, making up a uh, some kind of religion. It's just, it's just beautiful. And and Jesus knows her name. He says her name, and that's all she has to hear. He calls us by name. He gives us a name. I mean, it's uh, that's the the moment of recognition. Just when he says Mary, uh, I love. I, someday maybe, gosh, when we're in heaven, wouldn't it be nice if we could play back the tapes and see what that sounded like, the tone of his voice when he said that to her, I'm sure it was just an incredible moment in human history. Yeah, I, I agree, Jim. I think that that's, it's so, I mean, you think about the joy. I mean, Peter talks about, we haven't seen Jesus, but we have joy inexpressible. Yeah. You know, that scripture I'm talking about. Yeah. That, that, that to me is the joy inexpressible. What I really like is when Jesus said, I'm ascending to my father, and your father mm. to my God and your God. And he really could have said, I'm ascending. So my father is your father and my God is your God, because that's he, the only reason that the father is our father and God is our God is because of Jesus. Yeah. And, right. and but, but, but look at that. I mean, you know, when he calls us brothers, right. right. And if, if it's in, it's in um, Hebrews, and it's a quote from Psalm 22, which he starts off on the cross. You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Later on in Psalm 22, he, he calls us brothers. I yeah. brought my brothers and I'm going to praise you in front of my brothers in Psalm 22. So it, it, it's uh, so when he says here, but go to my brothers and say to them, you know, because you, you made a great point yesterday, Jim, about friends. Yeah. You know, we're not servants, friends. Right. And right. here it is again. That's right. That's right. And it, right. And uh, 
It is beautiful. He said, I'm sending to my father and your father. So you have a relationship with the father because of what I just accomplished for you on the cross. Because of that soul, right? And he doesn't say, I'm going to the father. And look, if you play your cards right, Mary, you too can achieve this and come and follow me. It's not like that at all, right? He doesn't say, I, I've, I've done all this stuff and I'm showing you the way. I'm going to teach you some principles for living. If you clean up your act, Mary, you could you could make it too. Nope. I mean, I'm going to my father and your father. You are coming with me solely because of what I did on the cross. And my brothers are too. My, and and, and that, that's what I've accomplished for you. That shows the power of adoption, that we, that we can be sons and daughters of God um, through the cross, that's through great. what Jesus did at the cross. But still, put yourself in Mary's shoes. Like, you can understand her not wanting to get it, like, not wanting to, to let go of him. Oh yeah, yeah. But oh, she yeah. lets yeah. go. She lets go, and she actually leaves his presence, and she goes on this mission to to tell the disciples. And so, let's uh, move on. Jim, you want to read verses nineteen to twenty three? Yeah. Can we talk about one more point in this section, though? Because I think there's something very interesting here. Sure. Because she doesn't recognize him, which I think is fascinating. And the, Jesus is in his glorified body. So, and, and it's a little bit of like a type for us. It gives a little bit, it gives us a little bit of a clue as to what our glorified bodies are going to be, right? So it's a physical body. She's touching him, clinging to him, right? Um, as physical properties, but slightly different physical properties. So it's not like she recognizes him at first. And it happens later with the Jesus appears to other people. And they don't recognize him right at first. And then when he leaves, they say, oh, that was Jesus. Yeah, like on the road to Emmaus. Exactly. And but in this in this case, it could be, I mean, Mary's mindset is that he's gone, right? Yeah. So she can only picture what she thinks would be there. So when she sees him, she thinks, oh, he must be the gardener. Right. And who knows, maybe, you know, I watched one of the, G I, actually, I was curious about this. So I watched one of the yeah. Jesus movies about it. Yeah. And what they do is they show him like his face is kind of hidden behind a bush, but he's talking to her. Yeah. Like, in other words, he can't be fully seen. He's, he's, he's there. But she can't see him because a, a bush is blocking the way. But, you know, I think that's fair enough. Um, I, actually, I do think that's fair interpretation because you can't draw too much doctrine from what's not written here. Right. It, it could have been, look, it's the sunrise and he was in silhouette and the sun was right behind him. It was yeah. light, light, light. And, and so you can't read too much like this is a doctrine we can take away of what our resurrected glorified bodies will be like because of this passage. I, you, you can't read too much into it. God, it does show you though the power of the mind, though, right? Because like sometimes our minds want to see, um, we we like, or we can't see what we can't comprehend. And so at this point, she couldn't comprehend that he had risen, right. and so she could only comprehend that he was a gardener. Right. Until she heard her name, she couldn't comprehend it. So I can read starting at verse nineteen, if you'd like. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, I'm reading, I think, tonight is the New American Standard Version. So starting at 19, I'll go through 29. Uh, just go through 23, because there's a there's some stuff here. Okay, all right, sounds good. So 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. 
And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. So this is, this is, I mean, this is a challenging passage in a lot of ways, but let's start with the easy part. The easy part is verse 21, when Jesus says, as the father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. This is what we call the great commission for in the gospel of John. Right. You know, in, in Matthew, it's, you know, go and make disciples of all the nations. Well, here, this is um, John's version of it. As the Father have sent me, I'm sending you. Um, so. Yeah, and it's it's an echo. He was actually saying that in the high priestly prayer in John 17. It's very similar. Just as Father, as you have sent me, I'm sending them. So a very strong echo of what he said before he uh, went to the cross. And now after he comes back, says the same thing, right? As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So, and, and we I, see that that goes what he just did with Mary. He said, Mary, stop cleaning me. I'm sending you. And she goes, right? So, and we see the, um, it's very clear in verse 19 that the doors were locked. And then yes. Jesus, so you guys think that's a miracle? Or do you think that our resurrected bodies can walk through doors? Our resurrected bodies have different physical properties than our current bodies, different physical properties than this world. So, they, you think about the way, remember the uh, C.S. Lewis and the Great Divorce, the way he describes it, that the, uh, like the resurrected bodies have more, they're more solid. In other words, you think Jesus walks through a wall because he's like a ghost, like a vapor, but it's the other way around. To him, the, the wall is like a vapor, that uh, the, the resurrected glorified bodies are far more solid than, and, and everything here, all this material world just looks like a vapor by comparison. Anyway, that's. That is pretty cool. <laughs> so Lewis we'll, in a sense, we'll be more real. And I do right. think this is true. I think this is true. We will be more our true selves than we've ever been in, you know, on earth. We will be our best selves. Yes. And my best self will be six feet tall, I keep saying. <laughs> <laughs> With six pack abs. <laughs> I'd settle for some hair. <laughs> <laughs> let's be let's all be realistic about this. Well, I, I think it's it's um interesting that um when he says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy spirit. Yeah. It's a promise of the Holy spirit. And then he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld because they, you know, the, the, the church is built upon the chief cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ and the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Right. So they had the apostolic word, but it doesn't mean that they have special, dispensation to forgive sins on their own what i think it means is they present the gospel and if people repent and are forgiven you know it's the lord the lord who forgives sins right and, and i know that's a theological dilemma with some faiths and some churches and so on is that they you know they they say can say te absolvo and people are forgiven but i i, I to me it means you're going to be able to be my witnesses like all the other passages go out and be my witnesses in the world and I'll be with you to the end. But it's, you know, it's, it goes back to John 14, you know, he, he is or 15 rather, I'm sorry. He is, he's the vine. We are the branches. You yeah. can, we can do nothing without him. 
So it, this isn't a, a, another dispensation of some anointing that people have. This is presenting the gospel. And just like we talked about yesterday, the gospel, and you guys talked about it last week with, with uh, Dr. Bob, the gospel, not only for salvation, the gospel throughout our entire Christian life. And I think that's what he's saying. At least that's, that's what right. I get out of it. Right. Well, some people some people struggle with when he says receive the Holy Spirit because wasn't wasn't the Holy Spirit coming in Pentecost? So like what there's some confusing thoughts on on what exactly he's he's meaning here, but I think it's it's um I think they were going to receive the spirit in its fullness at Pentecost, but there was some sort of uh special knowledge they were you know Jesus was giving uh, giving the disciples at this time, um, maybe it's the, the you know the knowledge of just of the resurrection and uh, empowering them with the gospel, like you said, and definitely you know they didn't have the power to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. So, but they were authorized to declare sins forgiven based on whether or not people responded to the gospel. And I think that's what you were saying, Lou. What's interesting too is that when you, if you look at Timothy, where it talks about every word of God is breathed out, and here we have the Spirit being breathed out because the Spirit and the Word agree, so it's being breathed out. It's all from God, it's from Jesus, giving the Spirit, giving the promise of the Holy Spirit here in the fullness at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is given, and you know when, when he says before in John, he says. The Holy Spirit is with you and will be in you, you know, and I think he had to go. This is my, you know, I'm not sure I I would die on this hill, but to me, it's he had to complete the work of salvation. Then the Holy Spirit comes, just like you said, Greg, before. And that's when they're infilled with the Holy Spirit after he completes the work of salvation and leaves. He ascends up into heaven in Acts 2, and then the Holy Spirit comes in fullness and they're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'd love to see commentaries on this because I'm not sure, maybe when he says receive the Holy Spirit, I hear those words, I think he is at that moment breathing the Holy Spirit on, they were given the Holy Spirit. Because Well, it says right here, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, as if that's the action. But maybe it's more of an imperative command where he says, I want you to receive the Holy Spirit when I send him at the day of Pentecost, when he had tongues of fire on your head. I mean, so it's a command to say, you, you need to receive the Holy Spirit when he comes, and he's going to come to you in a very short time. Um, but this is... This is not the action where actually says it, but I don't know. And so let us see what have come to say, no, here was kind of a down payment on the Holy Spirit. There's a little bit of the Holy Spirit and is more fulsome somehow at Pentecost. I, uh, I don't know. Yeah, there are, there are definitely some different views about that. Um, um, a, a, a lot of it. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think you articulated one of those pretty well. That um, that they were just getting uh, like a down payment of of uh, he was preparing them for Pentecost. Okay. Um, but they they at the same time they were getting some sort of uh, special ministry of the Spirit at that time. Yeah. You know to be able to receive the 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 mission. You know to you know so that they could be sent to preach the good news, and. Uh, and then he can say, hey, you'll be able to tell whether people's sins are forgiven or not based on if they respond 
to the the good news of about me. So that makes sense. That makes sense to me. I think you, that that principle you interpret scripture in light of scripture. But um, so, like verse twenty three seems to make sense to me. If they say, if they say, look, when you see people, you're going to denounce the gospel to them, to show them how they could, their sins can be forgiven. But only to the blood of Jesus Christ is forgiving sins, right? It's not their action. They say, if I wave my hand, I can forgive the sins. But I think, I think this verse twenty three is a doctrine that's uh, is the basis for a doctrine that in some traditions is called the office of the keys or the office of the keys of the kingdom where the church was basically for a long time said salvation is only through the church and you can only be saved of the church so if we declare you if you can let you in the church then you'll be saved and if we kick you out of the church you can't be saved because salvation can only be found through the church which i think from parts of christian history was was what the what, what the church believed but i i i, I think the clear gospel is I don't think that's the clear gospel. The clear gospel is like the salvation is only through the blood of Christ. And I think the better way to read this in, in light of interpreting it in light of the rest of scripture is if I say to you, I, Greg, I can announce the grace of God to you. I can bring the grace of God, explain the grace of God to you. And you have you accept the grace of God through the blood of Jesus, saving you from your sins. But it's not the power of Jim to, to, to forgive your sins or not forgive your sins, right? Anyway, that's for that's sure. I yeah I I agree. Well, let's let's continue on. What's interesting is when all this happened, Thomas wasn't even there. Um, he was missing. So now we we have the story of Thomas. Jim, could you continue on uh, verses twenty four to let's just go twenty four to twenty nine. Yeah, sure, okay. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, "We have seen the Lord." But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Yeah. So, very familiar story. Um, and it makes you think about how many people, when we share the good news of jesus with them will say something like well unless i see god working in my life i'm not going to believe in him yeah, you know yeah. i have to i have to see it god has to do some sort of sign or some some sort of miracle for me to believe in him right and so i think that you know the scripture gives us the gives us Th thomas like you're, you're not the only one like right. <laughs> there's there's other people like you out there but well, what's interesting is even scientists believe many things that they can neither see nor touch, you know, yes. but, um, you know, so what, what are you guys, what are you guys' thoughts on this? I just, a couple of things I just, and then I see what you guys think, but God doesn't zap Thomas. He doesn't come in the room and say, all right, you out of here. <laughs> you know, how dare you doubt my want a kingdom of people that don't doubt me, right? And like, it's so gracious. It meets him right where he's at. I think it helps skeptics everywhere. 
I just think it helps people that are literalists and skeptics and people are saying like, I need concrete evidence. They look at Thomas and say, God had, Jesus had so much grace to him to say, I know exactly where your doubts are. I know exactly what you're thinking and it's okay. Come here, put your finger right here, put your hand right here and believe. And, and again, the point of, you know, the book, whole book of John is these things are written that you may believe, right? And so he goes to Thomas saying, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. You still have to have faith. You still have to believe. Even when the concrete evidence is right in front of you, you still have to take that step and believe. And uh, Thomas does. And then Thomas gives the best, I think the best testimony in all scripture. So he, he should remember for this more than his doubts, right? My Lord and my God, right there, clear as crystal, the deity of Christ. So anyway, yeah. that's my quick initial thoughts. Lou, I don't know if, what what you were thinking. <laughs> I think that's the first time in Scripture in, in the New Testament that that's after you know that definite a statement, "My Lord and my God," like that. I I think it's tremendous. Um, I'm going to defend Thomas a little bit right here. I'm going to say that uh, put myself in his place. Right, he comes and he sees the other disciples and apostles who were so frightened they had run away, they had abandoned the Lord. And now they're telling him Jesus is alive because Thomas said before, remember in chapter 11, let's go with him and we'll die with him. All right. So he was committed. Thomas was out there. He was committed. You know, I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap about being the doubter. So these guys who all ran away and were afraid, now they're telling him we saw the Lord. Well, Thomas is saying, okay, you guys, you know, you all ran away. I was ready to die with him in chapter 11. So unless I see him, you know, I'm not going to believe you. I want to see him. And when he sees him, he doesn't put his hands in his, in his, uh, he doesn't do that. He falls on his face, I think, and says, my Lord, and my God. Mm. So I like that. I like the strength there. And plus, I think my understanding is that Thomas went to, I'm, I, I'm, I may be wrong on this. I, you know, wouldn't be the first time. Uh, I think he went to India and, and did a lot of good missionary work in India and died a martyr's death, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, he was a very strong Christian. He's, he's known as the doubter. But, you know, the, the interesting thing is, and I think if you, if you look at all the different disciples and apostles, they all have like different type personalities. Some of them are really hard chargers. Some of them are much more, you know, intellectual, emotional. You know, John refers to to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And so God is showing us the whole whole spectrum of all the different personalities and how he reaches everybody so beautifully. And he, he can do that. And it, and it's, it's just fascinating to me how he can do that and how he has that great broad appeal, but he knows just how, just where you live. You know what I mean? He knows exactly what makes you tick and he can get to you and you're the only one in the whole world, you know? That's the feeling you have. It's only me and God. That's how intimate and loving he is. That's, I I think that's great. I think Thomas appreciates you uh, standing up for him. Um, <laughs> because you're right. People like Thomas and Peter, Peter's another one. A lot of people think there's going to be a long line outside his house in heaven of, of pastors apologizing to him because they threw him under the bus when he was the one who, he took a sword he took a sword with him into the garden, and he he actually used it. He wasn't a good swordsman, but uh, thank God he wasn't a good swordsman, because if and if Jesus hadn't healed that uh, healed that guy that he cut his ear off, there might have been four crosses on that you know on that next day, because Peter that was a capital offense would have cost him his life. 
But so Peter was willing to lay down his life for the Lord. Um, he, he thought that he would never deny the Lord. And it turns out that God knew Peter better than Peter knew himself. And I think that's true with each one of us as well. But I like what you shared there about Thomas. Thomas is a, yeah, and I, church tradition says that he did go to India and had a tremendous uh, uh, ministry there. Um, so, um, but I love I, just the whole, the whole idea of these post-resurrection appearances, Jesus doesn't rebuke anybody. Like, if you think about it, he could have been, he could have been like, guys, I've been telling you for years that I was going to, that I was going to have to die and raise again, but you guys didn't, you don't see any rebuke. Yeah. Isn't that kind of interesting? You just, all you see is grace. All you see is acceptance and, um, and boy, isn't that the gospel? That's why it's the best news ever, you know? So you're right. That's a great point. He could, he could have said, Oh, what am I going to do with you guys? You know, I kept telling you, you know, you still, you never did get it. Did you? And he, he doesn't do anything. It's all filled with grace. And I mean, I he just, could have responded to the disciples the way he responded to the Pharisees, like, yeah. you know, um, very much in their, in their face. Like, what were, what are you guys thinking? Why were you running? Why did, why did you abandon me? Right. Right. You, know? you all abandoned me. You all scattered. Just like I said, you would, you did. Right. Yeah. But he doesn't do that. Right. It, it's filled with praise. I, I just want to amplify one thing, Lou, you were saying about the different personalities because Thomas is the skeptic. He's not, he's the, uh, He's incredulous, right? He wants proof. And then you have Nathaniel, when Jesus says, I saw what you did under the fig tree. Jesus says, my, okay, my Lord. And he follows him. He's like, you know, Mr. Gullible. And, I, and Thomas probably would at that would have rolled his eyes and said, oh, you believe anything, you know? But, but it, just, it does show you that the whole spectrum of humanity, like God, God meets all of us where we are. Mary's filled with emotion. The other disciples, they run back to their houses, right? They're, we're all different. And and going back to the when he says Mary, that one word, it's just that's completely emblematic of the point you're making. He meets each one of us exactly where we are, calls us by name, knows who we are, meets us where we are. Just yeah. great. Can you read verses 30 and 31, the last two verses? Yeah. Hey, Lou, you, do you have it in front of you? You want to close this out? Sure. Now, Jesus did many signs, many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. There it is. Yeah, yeah that's the purpose. I mean, it, it's, it, it's, um, I mean, it, it, I think when we get to heaven, I hope one of the things that we get to see is all the other signs and hear the stories from all the other people, because I mean, just think about that. I mean, there's some great, great stories in here. And this has been the same throughout the millennia, right? There's, you know, these, the word, the canon has been sufficient. These stories have been sufficient for everybody that's ever been saved. It's ever, ever been li ever lived since Jesus, since the canon was completed, since Jesus went to heaven. These are all sufficient. And that's what I like to think about, too, is that, you know, when you when you talk to people about God being just, well, if God's just, he has to have a standard. And if he has a standard, because otherwise, how would we know what his what's just and what's not? Because, you know, unless he reveals it to us. Right. And it's the same standard that applied in the eighth century 
9th century, and now we're in the 21st century. So everybody's going to be judged by the same standard, and this is the word of God. And it makes perfect sense, and that's that's how we know, one of the one of the ways we know that God is just is he's given us the standard that we'll, we'll be judged upon, and this is it. Mm. Yeah, and the standard that we're judging is, did you believe, right? These things are right. when you believe, right? So if you believe, then you have life in his name. You know. There's one thing I'd like to share that that's just uh, really uh, it, it, it's very simple, but I think for me, at least, it's very profound. And I was thinking about this today, and, and it's that Jesus is doing very well. OK, he's in heaven reigning now, interceding for us, the Holy Spirit's interceding for us, and he's doing very well at it. Better than we can imagine, right? Because he's still working. And because he's doing so well, we can do well. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I never thought of it that way. And I know it sounds kind of simplistic, but it just makes perfect sense to me. Is And, 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 and I almost want to, I, I almost want to, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but it's almost like I want to say, good job, Lord. <laughs> You're doing a great job. <laughs> Oh, I don't yeah. know if that makes you sense to you guys or not, great. but you, you but, absolutely but, can do that. What's that? I said you absolutely can do that through praise and worship. Tell him he's doing a great job, right? He's doing a great job. He's doing the best job possible. That's a that's a really interesting interesting thought. Um, I also am interested in knowing what the other signs and and you know the, all this stuff that was not written down. But I have a theory about these two verses. I feel like when John wrote these two verses, he probably went to bed. And then he thought, perfect ending of my book. I, I ended, I ended the, this is the perfect ending, you know. But then he either, you know, kept thinking about, like, I, but I didn't, I didn't talk about what happened to Peter. Like the last time Peter was mentioned, he was denying Jesus. I didn't tell the end story of Peter. And so he woke up the next morning and he's like, I got to add one more chapter. Like he thought he had the perfect ending and then he had to add another chapter. I don't like I have no idea. It's all the inspired word of God. I believe that 100 percent. It was meant to be. But. Doesn't it seem like this is like the perfect ending to his book right here, these last well, two verses? It seems like if he had a word processor at the time, he would have taken those paragraphs, cut and pasted them to the end of chapter 21. I agree with you. <laughs> right, right. It is a nice little capstone endpoint. Like it is beautiful. It's perfect. It's a great way to wrap up. He probably was writing longhand on a scroll and said, oh, shoot, there's one more thing. And <laughs> he had to keep going. So but it's all it's all inspired. It's all good. But I, I do. It does sound like kind of the way you'd end the book. I agree with you. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about final thoughts. Any any final thoughts? Anything you, you want to share with uh, people that might be listening to this podcast? Lou, I'll go first. Uh, my final thought is Christianity is very rational. If you think about it, it's the most rational worldview. It makes the most sense because we know we didn't come from nothing. If there ever was nothing, there always will be nothing. And if you look at you know, God, I mean, all the other faiths or religions or whatever you want to call them, it's all about following rules. 
And what we can do, and Jim said this beautifully in, in a couple of times late, lately when he's taught, all the things that we can do to make justify ourselves. And you even said, you know, that's the default, Greg, is self-justification, right? Whereas Christianity, it's what God did for us because we couldn't do it. And if, you know, we all want to serve a God, if we're honest, if we're intellectually honest with ourselves, we all want to serve a God. That's how we're made. That's how we're wired. That's how we're created, right? That's what our hearts do. And a lot of times we don't even realize that, but we all want to love. We have loves. We all have loves. And to think that if we want to serve a God, wouldn't you want to serve a God that served you, that came into humanity himself and died and suffered for you kind of love? What, what could there be any greater love that God could have done other than what he's done for us? And I, I just think that if it, somebody is thinking about that, it, 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 you know, it's the smartest, wisest decision you could ever make. Amen. Jim, how about you? Oh, amen, Lou. Amen and amen. I mean, Greg and I always talk in this podcast, we're just astonished that people don't take the offer. Because the, if you don't take the offer, you're 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 left with you're abandoned to self justification because it's it and, and Greg, I think the phrase you say that is the default setting of the human heart is self justification because everyone has to justify their life. Everyone has to say, how do I know my life has meaning? How do I know my life is worthwhile? How do I know I lived a good life? And even somebody who doesn't believe in any religion at all will say, well, see, I I've done I've been a good father. I I was on the right side of this cause, and I did. And they'll want to tell you, but I did all these things like because we're have to justify ourselves and the burden of justifying ourselves carrying your own cross is crushing and god has this offer this incredible offer these things are written that you may believe and by believing you may have life in his name just take it just take the offer right it's so sweet and we're always astonished that people are like no 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 i'd rather justify myself uh, i i i um it, it's uh it's just it's just astonishing to me but i, I had a greg you go ahead and next i i really kind of more lighthearted way i wanted to end okay well, my thinking is, you know, the fact that Jesus is alive today means that he's able to save people today. So anybody that's listening, if you don't know um, about your future, you know, Jesus is there and you can just cry out to him. The resurrection not only is not only a fundamental part of the gospel, it's the glue that holds every other part of the gospel together. You know, without it, Christians believe in vain and live without hope. But since Christ has risen from the grave, we have hope of forgiveness, justification, and eternal life in Christ. That's that's what I want to share. Amen. That's probably a good way to end. I just had one other thought to tack on the end. You can delete it from the podcast later, Greg, if you want to. <laughs> it's, from, it's from John 21, which I know you did last time. It's about where... Uh, 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 Jesus is uh, making breakfast for them and he's making it on a charcoal fire. And it's because for years I always have a grill in the back and I'm, you guys, maybe you're like this too. And I'm grilling for the family on a gas grill, propane tank, gas grill. And a couple of years ago, I switched to a uh, kind of cooker that is all charcoal. And so I'm always now, always, always cooking and smoking and meats and everything I'm doing is all on charcoal, real charcoal. And it's so real. And I'm when I'm there with the real coals and they're glowing coals, I always think of this verse in John 21 and Jesus making the charcoal fire, and he likes a connection to the fire. And I think about it, and then spiritually, you may have mentioned this in your podcast last time. The charcoal fire is mentioned twice in scripture. It's in yes. here, 
you probably said talked about this, right? Oh, go so, go for it. Well, it was also when Peter denied Christ there was a charcoal fire. It was warming stuff on a charcoal fire. So Jesus makes a charcoal fire, and the smells bring the uh, smell such a strong uh, sense for a sensory uh, um, uh, uh, song, such a strong sense for human beings that brings back memories. And Peter would have smelled the charcoal fire. Remembered, oh, that's the last time I smelled that was when I denied Christ. Every time, so strong connection with charcoal fire. I think that every time I'm out there grilling on my real charcoal, staring in the fire, said, "He say even Jesus loved real charcoal." Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.